All right. Uh, my name is Royce, if you don't know me. Uh, I'm a, one of the uh, elders here, along with Adam and Andy. Andy's up in L.A., actually, with uh, Church We Planted up there, um, and he's doing some ministry up there. And so I'm honored to get to uh, do our next um, section of Salt and Light in our sermon series this morning. And this morning, we're going to be talking about a very relevant subject, how to be salt and light at work. So during your day job, during your career, during your time as a parent or a student, how can we, how can we be salt and light in those places? And this is really important because you may or may, may, or may not know this, but you spend about one-third of your life or 90,000 hours working. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> It probably makes you really sad like Joseph, or maybe really happy if, I don't know, that's, that's all you're focused on doing. And this could be more depending on uh, your city or your industry. If we're in New York or something, it could be a lot more. Um, but work is, in reality, what we spend a lot of our waking hours doing. And given that we spend so much time working, we all have a really clear reason about why we go to work each morning. Right, you guys? Um, not really. A lot of times, we're not actually... Uh, sure like what we're getting up to go do outside of like okay i need to pay my bills like practically um sometimes we're not really sure like what is the mission or the vision um, behind work like what's the deeper purpose behind why we work even if you had all your bills paid you would still need to go have at least like this this need to be productive this need to work we see this with people who are retired. It's like all of a sudden there's a million house projects to do and they want to come help take care of your kids because we're just built in this way that we have to work or we're not happy. And I think as Christians, we've heard a lot of different messages about why we work. And the Bible actually talks a lot about work for different reasons. Um, but even amongst Christians, if you ask, hey, like, why do we work? What is the purpose? You'll get different answers. Uh, you might get answers like, well, I work because I want to be a good witness to my coworkers. That's good. Or I work because I want to make as much money as I can so I can be as generous as I can. Hey, it's cool too. I work to make as much money, or I make money to support my family or pay bills. Or I work to express the gifts that God gave me. Maybe you work to serve the poor and promote justice. Maybe you work to serve your community. Or maybe you work in order to make disciples and fulfill the Great Commission full-time. And which of these are right? What's the, well, the, the real reason for work? Please stand up. <laughs> the reality is most of these, pretty much all of these are right on some level, and the Bible actually talks about doing work for all these different reasons. So in a way, yes, they're all right. And so um, what I'm going to try not to do is just the impress upon you like another reason for why you're going to work this morning so you're not going into work and thinking like all right reason number 10 um, share the gospel or um, social justice but what I'm hoping um, this morning is that as we consider being salt and light at work we can actually create a coherent strategy for why we're at work that actually includes most of these things and encompasses these reasons and so um, before I jump in, I would love to just pray for God's help um, going through the subject. Uh, Father, we believe that you created work. We believe that you created us for a purpose. Uh, I pray that um, people would feel excited about um, their calling, they'd be excited about working um, more than ever, um, that it would feel like less of a burden um, and more like a joy and a way to show people who you are and what you're like. 
um, to the people around them. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So as I was um, thinking about, like, what text can we go through? This is like kind of more of a topical series in order to better understand salt and light. I was reading the text about salt and light and realized that that text itself is actually a great text to look at to understand what it looks like to be salt and light at work because it actually includes work in that text. So we're going to go ahead and take a look. Um, if you have Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 13, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of Jesus's most famous and most impactful sermons that he spoke um, when he was living here. So it says in Matthew 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one puts a light, puts a light, lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light to all those who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine. So this is kind of the verse we're going to be focusing in on. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God, your Father in heaven. And so we're going to be focusing yeah, on verse 16 where um, Jesus says that others should see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. And you might be wondering, like, okay, but my work isn't doing good works. Like, it's not like I'm doing good deeds all day, helping old ladies cross the street, or serving at a homeless shelter, or something like that. And as I was kind of, like, looking at this word um, in the Greek, there's a Greek word called ergon, which is the word for work. It actually gets used, it gets translated into uh, good works, into good deeds, uh, but also, like, labor and just work. And it literally just means, like, work, like, do a business, essentially. And so it, it actually uh, totally applies, what, what Jesus is saying here totally applies to your work. In our mind, labor and work mean very different things, but to the biblical writers, it actually was all the same thing. There's different ways that we work, but God views all of our work as um, both spiritual and physical, if that makes sense. And so our two points this morning are that we're going to, we want to be people that, um, show what God's like through our work, and also tell people what God's like through our work. So our points are show and tell, kind of like what you did in grade school. <laughs> so let's talk about the first one, show. So I think um, before we can even have a good understanding of how to do good works, we need to do a brief background um, on the biblical story of work. And we've talked about this um, in a little bit more detail than we're going to do today. We're going to be focusing more on uh, the intersection between um, work and being a witness, giving God glory, and not just about how do we be good workers. But there's lots of great resources about how to just be a great worker and connect your work with God's work. Like Tim Keller's Every Good Endeavor is an amazing book. I, I definitely recommend you read since you're going to be spending 90 hours, 90,000 hours of your life doing this thing. Um, but the, the story that um, God tells in the Bible about work is very important because we have to be able to see, place ourselves in this story 
or else it works not going to make much sense to us, or we're going to be using an alternate um, story about work. But the story the Bible tells is that God himself worked to create the world, and then he rested on the seventh day. And during that time, he created, when he worked, he created Adam and Eve to tend a garden, which was working, taking care of it. And he commanded them, he blessed them, to be fruitful and multiply, and to fill the earth, and to subdue it. And this word subdue means to use the raw materials of the earth to create culture through our work. Um, God could have actually just built out the whole world for us, right? Adam and Eve could have just been like dropped into the middle of LA or San Diego, like everything pre-built out. They didn't have to do anything, right? Um, but God didn't do that. He's kind of like a parent who like gives their kids some Legos and is like, let's see like what you decide to build. Um, and actually I have a picture of like some Legos that I give my kids and they build the weirdest things. It's like so fascinating to me. Especially my youngest son, Aquila, he builds aliens and like stacks 10 heads on top of uh, these like Lego guys. I'm just like, what is going on in your mind, you know? But I, I think their kids' minds are so fascinating. And I just get the same kind of picture uh, from the Genesis story. Like when God tells um, Adam, he like brings the animals to him to see what he would name them. <laughs> you know, he's like, oh, cow, okay, camel. All right, sure, why not, you know? It's fascinating. And so in the same way, God, like, co-works with us to, like, build out culture um, throughout the world. Um, Andy Crouch defines, uh, he's a writer, he defines culture as what we make of the world. And the word actually comes from cultivate, like Adam and Eve did in the garden. And culture isn't just art, but it includes everything that you build in all your various um, fields of work. Even a uh, breakfast burrito is culture. Thank you, God. <laughs> um, so how specifically does God call us to work? What does the Bible say about how we should work? Well, I have a few um, different, three different Bible verses here just to kind of help us get an understanding of what it looks like for Christians to work. Uh, the first one, Colossians 3.23, says that whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. And so Paul is saying here, like, work hard because you're actually working for God, not just for your boss who may or may not appreciate you, but God loves you and appreciates you, and so work hard for him when you're working. Um, secondly, in Luke 3.17, it says this, Jesus says, let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned to him. Is this the right text? I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong verse. <laughs> um, Paul wrote this. He says, let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigns when God called him. So if you're wondering, like, where do I work? Where do I do my good works? Paul is saying, like, wherever you're at, basically, is where we do our good works. He says, this is what I command all the churches. And so, essentially, you can be salt and light where you are right now. Uh, lastly, in 1 Thessalonians 4.11 through 12, Paul says to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. So don't go crazy on Twitter and Instagram, telling everyone you're going to buy Twitter. 
He says, <laughs> work with your hands as we commanded you so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. So he's saying that we should be able to support ourselves. We shouldn't seek to be flashy, to like um, do big things, but even working with our hands is, is valuable. So how can we actually um, like more practically do good work? How do we apply this? Well, Christian work isn't primarily about like having a Christian brand <laughs> or working at a company where everybody's a Christian. It's not necessarily bad, but that's not primarily what it's about. And if you do do that, you better have like the best business going ever. Uh, but Christian work is primarily about using your gifts and opportunities to love your customers, your boss, your coworkers, your kids, whoever is around you to the very best of your abilities. Our work is our biggest opportunity to apply um, the first commandment to love our neighbor as ourself. Because we spend so much time doing it. Martin Luther says that <clears throat> he was confused when he would look at these verses in the Bible about how God would like take care of the poor or like give bread or stuff like that. He's like, how does, like God's not send me bread in the morning, like poof, you know? And he realized that actually God would use like a baker to make bread to give to you. And that's how he would provide food through other people, right? And that in the same way, um, God works through us to take care of the needs of the people around us in our community or throughout the world. Um, and he's, he kind of came with this analogy that we're like God's uh, hands or fingers, like working in the world to like do his work, which I think is beautiful. And he actually pushed back on this uh, kind of the, the Catholic Church's view that there's like sacred work, like if you're a priest or something, then you're doing God's work, or there's secular work, where it's like everybody else, like you just come and give money or whatever. <laughs> you're not as, as holy as the priests. Like he's like, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. Um, kind of a quick example, I think, of uh, somebody doing really great work. Um, there's, there's lots, but um, I was up in L.A. yesterday at my niece's birthday party. She's like turning, she turned eight. She's adorable. And I was talking with my brother-in-law's cousin, and she was telling me, <laughs> yeah, she was telling me that, um, her, her and her husband like work at a hospital where he was because he was like oh my husband this is, his name's Tito and he's on call I was like oh like what does he do she's like well he's a, a medical tech at a hospital I was like oh okay that's cool she's like yeah he um it's like really important that he gets his messages because he operates these machines that do like heart bypasses essentially so I guess when doctors need to do like a bypass now they don't have to like crack you open or whatever they have this machine that just like drills a hole and like inserts a new oh holly knows what i'm talking about inserts a new valve like into your heart and it's like a pretty technical difficult thing to do and most of the doctors i guess don't really know how to do it and so they're like tito get in here now you should like do this heart valve transplant <laughs> and he needs to get over there and get it done and obviously do it well or else this person's not like waking up you know but he, kind of the first point is that he does his work really well, so well that doctors like trust him with their patient's life, you know? And they are like, I'd rather have you do this than me. <laughs> um, 
And secondly, they also call him in like when things don't go so well. Because she was saying that Tito has a very calm, non-anxious presence, that he does very well in rooms where there's families uh, who just lost a loved one. And he'll go into those spaces and he'll be calming people down and praying for them, which is not at all part of his training or job description. And it's not really much a part of theirs either. Uh, but they're like, have, they essentially have him come in as a chaplain type person. They just notice that he's, he's skilled at this type of thing. Um, and it's because of his faith, it's because he's a Christian, that he's actually able to um, know what to do in these types of situations. And a lot of the people are just like, okay, there's a dead body here. What do I do? Um, and I thought that was so beautiful. And she was also telling me kind of her, her story. She says, after he heals him, I rehab him, <laughs> she told me. Because she works at uh, kind of rehabilitation where she helps them to learn how to walk or um, speak again. And she's like, I take care of them, you know, physically, emotionally, spiritually. She's like, I also get to um, pray for them. And I asked her specifically, I was like, how does your faith like change how you work? And she told me, um, she's like, well, I feel like I'm way more compassionate than I would be because a lot of times, like, these people are making really bad, like, life decisions. Like, they've been smoking, they won't stop smoking, or they've come back multiple, they won't change their, their like, habits, even after having this, like, bypass. And she's like, but, um, she's like, you know what, God's really patient with me, and, and I can continue to be patient with these people and, and compassionate anyways. And I was like, that's so beautiful. And she said she's had plenty of opportunities to, like, share her faith as a result of how she, um, how she acts towards them. And there's lots of examples from, like, lots of different fields. And um, I kind of made, like, a really long list of different examples. But <laughs> I think what's really important is just that you actually sit down and, like, pray and think about your work, your specific um, people that you're called to serve and to love like how does god want to use you in these places you know also i'd love to like sit down and pray about that with any of you if that would be helpful um and also i think something that we can do as christians too is that when we fail when we mess up uh repenting publicly or to somebody is often even more effective than succeeding being successful in the first place That'll really shock people. And um, another kind of thing I wanted to point out too is that doing good work isn't always gonna mean you're gonna be popular or people are gonna be saying like, great job, you must be a Christian, tell me more. Sometimes people are like not gonna like you because sometimes it's going to mean actually standing up for truth or justice um, when it's not popular. And Jesus did Jesus did the best work, right? He was the best worker possible. And there's a lot of people that hated him. He had, like, a lot of enemies. And he tells us, like, hey, if I have enemies and you're following me, you're going to be persecuted also. So you should expect that sometimes and be okay with that. You also, um, if you're working to be salt and light, you might not make as much money potentially as you could or be as famous as you could because you're not primarily focused on those things. Um, I do think that you're going to succeed probably pretty well if you're working with integrity and you're working hard, but not necessarily. You could be at a culture where it's not rewarded, you have to do shady stuff in order to to succeed that you're not going to do. That could happen. Um, 
And so that's kind of like the end of talking about what does like work look like? How do we be good, hard workers? Um, and it's important that we do this just for its own sake because we're loving people. But also, um, it's my hope that as we do this, we create situations where people are like, whoa, like, why are you working so hard? Why are you so loving? Why are you so competent? Why do you care about me so much? And then we actually have an opportunity to talk about God, to give him the glory. And so we're going to move into our second point, which is tell. And so I want to um, quickly zoom out and reread verse uh, 16 from Matthew. And remember, Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And so, yeah, we're going to look at this idea of giving glory to God. And glory isn't um, a word we use too much, I think, besides maybe like, that was so glorious or whatever. Um, But kind of the definition of God's glory is that it's his greatness as evidenced by his works. God's glory is his greatness evidenced by his works. And there's a psalm that says, I think a good description of God's um, glory. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The expanse proclaims the work of his hands. So these are like the things that he made proclaim his glory. The expanse is like the heavens. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the earth. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun and the bride, it is the bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It circles from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. And there's tons of different psalms like this in the Bible. I just talk about all the amazing things God has made just to show how amazing and glorious he is. Um, Far and above anything that we could do ourselves. And so we should be really careful um, to pay attention to opportunities to give God glory for our work. Because he deserves it. He's made the skills that allow us to do the work that we've done. And he's formed the character and integrity in you, which um, your employers enjoy (laughs) and think is amazing. And we are, as Christians, we are God's ambassadors. And the job of an ambassador is to communicate on behalf of his or her country and to increase its reputation and relationships. If you just showed up as an ambassador to another country and you're like, I forget which country I'm from, but let me tell you about how amazing I am, people would be like, you're not really helpful. You're like, you're not doing your job. But giving God the glory means giving him the credit when people recognize there's something wonderfully weird about you. Um, There's a great example in this uh, book by Tim Keller called Every Good Endeavor. And it's about um, somebody who found out, or I'll just share it in a second. So Tim Keller says this. um, He says, she worked for a company, oh, sorry. 
Years ago, I had one unforgettable example or a Christian who showed this type of integrity and compassion. Not long after we began our church in New York City, I saw a woman who was obviously visiting and darting out after each service. One week, I intercepted her. It's kind of an intense word, like a policeman <laughs> intercepting you. Uh, she told me she was exploring Christianity. She didn't believe in it at that point, but she found a lot interesting. I asked her how she found Redeemer, and she told me this story. She worked uh, for a company in Manhattan, and not long after starting there, she made a huge mistake that she thought would cost her her job. But her boss went in to his superior and took complete responsibility for what she had done. As a result, he lost some of his reputation and ability to maneuver within the organization. She was amazed at what he had done and went in to thank him. She told him that she had seen supervisors take credit for what she had accomplished, but she'd never seen a supervisor take blame for what she had done wrong. She wanted to know what made him different. He was very modest and deflected her questions, but she was very insistent, like, keep, kept, kept bothering him, like, tell me what it is. Finally, he told her, I am a Christian. That means, among other things, that God accepts me because Jesus took the blame for the things I did wrong. He did that on the cross. That is why I have the desire and sometimes the ability to take the blame for others. She stared at him for a long moment and asked, where do you go to church? <laughs> he suggested that she go to Redeemer, and so she did. His character had been shaped by his experience of grace in the gospel, and it made his behavior as a manager attractive and strikingly different from that of others. This lack of self-interest and ruthlessness on the part of her superior was eventually life-transforming for her. So this manager could just as, as easily have said, well, I took the blame because it was just the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do. Uh, and that's true. I, I mean, actually, it wasn't really the right thing to do. But he could have said that. But he actually would have been taking credit for the work that God was doing in him. Does that make sense? And we want to be um, people that deflect the glory, the, the glory to God when we work. So we want to be people that um, we do more um, showing than we do taking credit for our work. Because, um, like Paul Tripp actually says in his book, that greatness always um, creates glory, and people are attracted to that. So we always want to go after... Um, famous people, like if you look at like Elon right now, everyone's so impressed with the work he's doing, Elon Musk, and they're just like, wow, you're amazing, you're the best, da -da 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 -da. and people are always going to do that, and we can either um, tell people about God's glory, or we can just kind of allow that glory to like rest on us, but it's got to go somewhere, essentially, and as I was kind of reflecting on um, show and tell and like our church and my experiences with you guys and your work um, I think that most of you are actually doing like pretty great work I think there's a lot of people that feel really loved by you um, that you get promoted that you're doing well but I think that um, we struggle with this idea of giving God the glory would you guys agree that, that that's kind of more difficult 
I think that this command is difficult because it's calling us to explicitly, out loud, with our mouths, say um, the work that God, uh, that the work God's been doing to talk about God to somebody at our job. And that can be scary. Um, it's not scary for everyone, but I think for, for most of us, um, it, is, it is a little bit scary. And we're not sure what could happen. I think that if we did this all the time, if we, if we did tell and not just show, we actually have a lot more baptisms around here and a lot more people coming to check the, sh- the church out, just like this story from New York. And I feel like, to you kind of use a salty analogy, it's like people are going to have taste of you, and they're like, what is the seasoning? Like, what is the recipe for this thing? And we're kind of like, ah, oh, it's a secret sauce. I can't tell you, uh, but uh, go find some water somewhere else. <laughs> and we're leaving people, like, thirsty without telling them we have this amazing water of life that we can give to them. And why do we keep this thing a secret? Why do we keep God's glory a secret? I'm not even, speci- I'm not even ex- specifically talking about evangelism. I'm just talking about explaining why God motivates you to, to do the work that you do. All right? And maybe it includes sharing the gospel, but not even necessarily. We're just talking about giving God the glory. Why is this so scary? Um, I feel like a lot of us <clears throat> should get, like, drafted into the CIA for deep cover work sometimes because— we're so good at living a double life where outside of work, um, sorry, outside of work, Jesus is the most important thing that we have, but come 8 a.m., it's like we never talk about him. It's equivalent to like being married and no one at work knows. And you imagine someone found out that you're married after they're working with you for like five years. They're like, what? Why is this a secret marriage? Like, what's the deal, man? Uh, I think part of the issue is that we know there's this pressure on society to keep your faith private. Don't talk about it. Like, keep it for Sunday. Uh, it has no place, no place in public. Um, and uh, it's, it's difficult uh, when our religion, but it's hard to keep these private because ultimately, like I'm saying, it's our faith that um, informs everything that we do, including why we work the way that we do. Um, and it feels like we can talk about pretty much literally anything else at work, but not Jesus, including, like, politics and gender and all kinds of different stuff. But I think Jesus is actually calling us to push back on this cultural norm, and he did it all the time. He was certainly explicit about who he was, who he was serving, and we want to try to be like him, right? That's kind of, like, why we're here. So one of the main reasons I hear that Christians don't want to share their faith is because, or talk about God at all, is because we don't want to be associated with these uh, really mean, judgmental, hypocritical Christians that we see on TV or in the news. We're like, you're over there. Like, I'm staying over here. I don't know you. <laughs> um, but did you ever wonder that maybe Jesus didn't want to be associated with the religious leaders of his day? He's kind of a little embarrassed by the Pharisees. Um, especially when he's ministering to the poor, the sinners. He's like, I'm not like those guys. And for sure, I think this is true, because he criticized the Pharisees publicly, like, all the time. But he cared so deeply about people, and he wanted them to know who God really is, that he corrected the Pharisees and their view of God and Christians, 
rather than abdicate this responsibility. And I want to ask, um, do we care enough about God and what people think about him that we are willing to correct people's view about God rather than just allow kind of the people who maybe aren't Christians to create this, this distorted view about God? Because the more uh, genuine Christians that make themselves known, the more ability to drown out the voices that aren't really Christian. If we just um, stay quiet, it actually just allows those voices to tell um, the story and like hold the conversation for us. And I think that um, we can fall into the same temptation that actually some of the Pharisees who believe in Jesus secretly, we can do the same thing that they did. Um, in John 12, 42, Jesus says that, um, this is about these Pharisees. He says, at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him, Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. So I don't know about you, but I feel like that resonates with me. Because I know, if, or I'm worried, if I talk about God a bunch in different contexts, um, I might be put out, you know. I might lose praise of man. And um, that's really uncomfortable. But I think that if we can't confess to people that we're Christians, it shows that um, we want God's glory in the form of the approval of others. Like we're, uh, we're glory hogs, as Paul Tripp says it. And your fears, again, your fears of rejection might not be unfounded. I wish I could say everyone would celebrate you, like you're receiving an Oscar every time that you talk about God, but it's not likely true. Um, there could be a real cost. You could get canceled or um, people associate, you know, all kinds of different hateful values with you. Um, you could lose your job. It's possible. Um, but you know what? Um, the reality is that when Jesus um, took a stand and gave God the glory, it actually cost him everything, right? It cost him more than his job. He lost not only the acceptance of men, but his own life. He was rejected by God for our own sake when he died on the cross for our sins. So he understands he's gone through far more. Jesus did far better work than you or I will ever be able to, and he received a far harsher penalty. He gave all, he gave all the glory for his good works to God. And on the cross, he was completely, completely rejected by God. He was rejected in a way that we actually will never experience. And he suffered this rejection, and he kept working to love people in our place so that we could be reconciled to God and never experience the rejection of the one person's opinion who actually matters. We might be rejected by our coworkers or a boss uh, for doing good things in God's name but God will never reject us. So let's not reject him by hiding that we're Christians and, that's, and that that's the reason why we do our good work. Jesus says that if we reject him before men, he will reject us before the Father. That's a scary wording. So we can be bold in proclaiming the gospel because we're no longer defined by the opinions of others. We have a Father in heaven 
He was extremely proud of us, and that's something we can't lose. That's a, a secure approval that we can actually we can rest in. So the more I think that you begin to truly believe that God loves you and accepts you, the more free you'll be from looking to idols of people and work to fulfill your need for validation. Also, the approval of man is so fickle, you guys. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. People are mostly just impressed by themselves, thinking about themselves anyways. But being solid and light will be celebrated for all of eternity. Think about that. How much more important is it? So I want to encourage you guys to think deeply about how the gospel changes your work and be ready to share the way it changes your work. We'll do it. And then be ready to share why the gospel has changed your work if people take notice, if they ask you questions. Um, about two years ago, as we were at our Restored Churches retreat, um, I was just kind of reflecting on my own personal fear of man. And I felt like as we were worshiping and praying that God reminded me of um, the time when uh, Peter denies Jesus three times, if you guys remember that story. And Jesus actually um, like looks over at him. And I felt like, I was like just really torn up uh, in my heart, feeling like I actually do a similar thing all the time with Jesus. Um, but not only does the Bible tell this story, but it also talks about the restoration of Peter, which is such a beautiful thing. And I thought it would be a great way to close by um, essentially calling, I'm going to basically read this story over you guys um, while your eyes are closed, because I want to call us to corporately repent of different ways that we've um, disowned Jesus or just not taken opportunities to talk about him. And then also read the, um, the restoration of Peter, which applies to us as well. So if you don't mind, please close your eyes for a minute. So it says this, They seized him, Jesus, led him away, and brought him into the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance. And again, if you can identify yourself with Peter, please do so. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard, and they sat down together, and Peter sat among them. When a servant saw him sitting in the light and looked closely at him, she said, This man was with him too. But he denied it. He said, Woman, I don't know him. After a little while, someone else saw him and said, You're one of them too. Man, I am not, Peter said. About an hour later, another kept insisting. This man was certainly with him, since he's also a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So that's the first piece. That's his rejection of Jesus. Um, later on, uh, when Jesus had returned from the dead, when they had eaten breakfast together, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him a third time, 
Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by which kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. <laughs> Our Father, we're grateful that you are so gracious, that you forgive, um, even deny, even flat-out denials that we don't know you. You're so quick to forgive. Uh, I pray that you would give us courage, you give us boldness um, to proclaim you, to proclaim your gospel, that we'd want people to know the most amazing person in the universe who means more to us than anybody else. Uh, I pray that people wouldn't feel um, guilty over maybe the way that they're working or not giving you the glory, uh, but that they would feel excitement to follow you um, in this way with their life, Lord. Uh, we are grateful for the gospel, we're grateful for the cross, and, and your salvation, your redemption. Amen.